Hello, welcome to The Signal. I'm Chelsea Clarou. And I'm Amy Brierly. We're with the audio workshop at the University of King's College School of Journalism. Today on the show... We'll hear how shoplifting is becoming a serious crime. And a hullabaloo over heritage. Because a painting is an old painting, uh, should you paint it over? Abigail Trevino reports on a Victorian home that could soon fall to the wrecking ball. And later, the case for spending time outdoors in winter. Your overall well-being as a a person is definitely enhanced uh, when you hike, for sure. All that and more on today's show. But first... Shoplifting is costing retailers, and eventually consumers, billions of dollars each year. And both police and retailers say they've seen an increase in this crime. Madeline Bissot has more. It is a significant issue. That's Michael LeBlanc. He's a senior retail advisor for the Retail Council of Canada. It represents more than 45,000 retailers. He says Canadian retailers lose billions a year. This can come from internal theft, fraud, or shoplifting. But LeBlanc says there's been a shift in the characteristics of shoplifting. It's becoming more organized and more violent. They have uh, gangs who are equipped and rush into stores uh, in lots of noise and be very violent and threaten customers and threaten associates. So it's a very concerning uh, development and trend that we see across Canada. LeBlanc says Winnipeg recently saw a streak of organized retail crime. But every province is vulnerable. But, you know, crime will follow its opportunity. So we've seen it in Ontario, we've seen it in the Atlantic provinces. But it's not just organized crime affecting these stores. Statistics Canada says there was a 14% increase in petty theft in 2018. That's shoplifting under $5,000. Self-serve kiosks uh, raise an opportunity to game the system. In fact, one university student told The Signal he steals food from Walmart, partly because of the self-serves. They're saving money, they're making money off of you doing your own work. I feel like I can make money off of doing my own work too, even if it's the $10 that I've stolen from the self-checkout. For LeBlanc, this is part of a bigger issue. It's not a victimless crime. We all pay for it one way or the other, whether it's uh, hard to open packages or theft. <laughs> proof you know you've probably had some experience why is this package so hard to open i can't get at the thing because if it's too easy to open it creates uh, temptation for uh, for thieves you can hear more from shoplifters and those who deal with the fallout on the signal podcast we posted it on twitter and instagram at signal hfx for the signal i'm madeline bizzo as of next month a victorian house on tower road could be the next for demolition in halifax's ongoing redevelopment This week, the Heritage Advisory Committee met to hear arguments for and against tearing the building down. As Abigail Trevino tells us, the house has at least one claim to fame that some say make it worth saving. The Heritage Building is owned by Stephen Front. He applied to have it torn down three years ago. It needs a new foundation. The city suggested it be raised and repaired. Front's lawyer says that's too expensive. Under municipal law, there's a three-year waiting period after a demolition permit is issued for a heritage building. For the Tower Roadhouse, it expires next month, and French could be free to bring in the bulldozers. But there's concern about its loss. 
The National Trust for Canada named it a top 10 endangered place after the owner was granted the demolition permit. And Justin Mills said it would be a real shame. He rents the property. It's a delightful structure, um, and it's very unique to that neighbourhood, to Halifax in general. Um, it's definitely reminiscent of a much older building than what, what's you know presently in the streetscape there. It's special. It was written about by Lucy Maud Montgomery. It, you know, the, the city should work very hard with the developer to come up with, uh, I don't know, a carrot or something of sorts to, uh, you know, find an amicable solution for both sides that sees uh, his investment protected and, uh, you know, our cultural investments protected as well. And how do you feel about the possibility that since you're living there, it might be demolished? Well, um, we're only living there temporarily. Um, we're just renting it uh, in in the uh, in the interim and uh, uh, re-renting it back out. Um, I have you know I mean I have a vested interest in the property that I that I really like it, but it's not it's nothing that we've thought of as long term, um, other than you know potentially thinking about trying to uh, you know possess the property ourselves and uh, you know work with the city to uh, to keep it existing. But that you know those options are still open and we're still working on that. Margaret Horn is an archaeologist who also owns another heritage property in the area. She was one of four people who told the Heritage Committee the house should be saved. This is the character that draws people to Halifax, whether long-term or short-term. And once it's gone, it's gone. The Heritage Committee says it will take the comments under advisement. But even if they advise against demolition, they have no legal power to stop it. The owner only has a year to demolish before his permit expires. Horn says that's ridiculous. What's the purpose of this plaque? Meanwhile, people in the neighborhood say heritage is important to them and to the city. We should value the old world architecture, the craftsmanship that doesn't exist today, and the uh, uh, just the sense of history in in our community, especially being one of the first cities in hel- in the country to be established. I think it's really important because it show, it expresses some of our history and where we came from, um, and whether that's a combination of First Nations history with colonial history, I think it's important to show people who come and visit who we are and what our history was like. Andrew Murphy agrees. He's the president of the Heritage Trust of Nova Scotia. You know, it's not particularly historically important. Just because the house is not historically significant doesn't mean that that you wouldn't save it. So the analogy I use is um, is because a painting is an old painting, uh, should you paint it over? Murphy says only 3% of private homes in Halifax are historic properties. And since the city's historic character is an important draw, they should be protected. For The Signal, I'm Abigail Trevino. It's prime tobogganing season. Gorsbrook Park in the city's south end is one of Halifax's most iconic sledding destinations. A plan to update the park will soon come before council, and a community group is raising questions about the park's future. I went to the park and spoke with people there. Gorsbrook Park is tucked away between Roby, South, Wellington, and English Streets. Hala and Zaydo Zuli are regulars here. We use the park all the time, basically, because we have school over there, and this is the closest hill that we can have. So it's actually really easy to pack up snow, so if we get like just like 10 centimeters, we 
Yep, like all the snow and it's really easy to like sled. The city has a plan to redevelop the park. It lays out a blueprint for future improvements and additions. But twice, council has deferred debate on it, in December and this past Tuesday. Pat Whitman and Chris Anand hope to speak to their councillor, Way Mason, before the plan comes to council again. We didn't get to see the report up to, well, December when it December, kind of yeah. first came to council and, and at very short notice. So we did request that it be deferred uh, and then it, it was put on the agenda for this past week. But we haven't been able to schedule discussions with Way or with Parks, so they agreed to defer it again. one more time. Whitman and Anand head the Park to Park Community Association. They represent about 100 people who use the park or live nearby. Fixing the park or improving the park is something we would encourage, but we just want to make sure it's done appropriately, the same way we look at development in the area being appropriate. They say community members and others who use the park are looking for answers about the impact of additional lights, noise, and locations of courts and fields. More at this point, there's more questions than, than answers. answers. And, um, and so we're just looking forward to getting some of that before it comes back to council. The proposed plan includes improvements like paved walkways, new bathrooms, and a new pickleball court. Whitman and Anand think the informal and accessible nature of the park should be preserved. We want to make sure that if we're having changes, it's not just for change sake. It's not because somebody in planning got given a nice file and they were, they were able to go wild with it and, you know, the, the park of their dreams. We want them to really think about how it fits into the neighborhood and, and how all the residents in the neighborhood interact with the park. They want the city to commit to keeping the community in the loop when the plan is approved and changes start to happen with these kinds of things you have an initial plan and then kind of it overall gets approved and then and then things the ch plan changes and then lo and behold you know you find a backhoe here doing something and you say what's going on <laughs> yeah councillor way mason wasn't available for an interview in the meantime denisha riley says hala and zaid and the other children from the nearby peter green hall children's center will continue to use the park as they always have. We utilize this park every day. The kids love coming out here and sledding on the hills. And uh, yeah, it's just a great, great park. And it's right in the city, so it's really accessible. And uh, yeah, we love it. So far, there's no date set for the park plan to come back to council. And Chelsea, I'll bet those kids are enjoying the snow we got yesterday. I bet they are. Maybe we should join them after the show. You're listening to The Signal, stories from the audio workshop at the University of King's College School of Journalism. I'm Chelsea Clarou. And I'm Amy Brierly. Still to come, we'll hear about a new art show that focuses on your gut feelings. And we'll find out what's going on around Halifax for entertainment this weekend. Maybe starting with a hike. Hike Nova Scotia has released a new winter hiking guide. It includes 60 guided hikes that run until March. I decided to check it out. J. 
Janet Barlow is the executive director of the nonprofit group Hike Nova Scotia. She says hiking is a great way to stay active both mentally and physically all year round. And she says it's an activity almost anyone can do and is a good alternative for those that don't like going to the gym. Some of the effects of getting the physical activity, getting the exposure to nature and green space um, really does wonders for your state of mind uh, and, uh, you know, your overall well-being as, uh, as a person is definitely enhanced uh, when you hike. The new winter guide was created to make it easier for people to get outdoors during the winter. There are trail prizes for those who participate in the organized hikes and a chance to win a Hike Nova Scotia membership and a free trail guide ebook from Goose Lane. A lot of people think, oh, winter hits, I'm not going to go outside anymore until the nice weather is here. And uh, our mantra is that there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad preparation or bad clothing. So even in winter, you can get outside. The guided hikes also include snowshoers. And the new guide has a list of 90 places where you can buy snowshoes or borrow them to try them out. Barlow says the snowshoeing hikes are some of the most popular and well-attended events. It's just something that allows you to access the winter woods um, in deeper snow that wouldn't uh, that you wouldn't be able to do uh, if you didn't have snowshoes. So you float over the snow, you can, you can access the trails and not worry about sinking down too far and, and having too, too hard of a workout. Catherine Fouquet is one of the founders of Curvy Girls Hiking Group. She says it's open to all, with members ranging from ages 7 to 70. It's creating a group uh, that doesn't focus on so much finishing a hike or how fast you go, uh, but focuses on just getting out, enjoying nature, and not having to worry about all the other stuff. Fouquet says one thing that can be a worry is winter clothing for those who don't fit into traditional sizes. She suggests making do. If you've got to wear two or three sweaters instead of a, a you know a winter jacket, if, as long as it's going to keep you warm, then that's what we're happy with. And just making sure that you're being safe and that you have what you need to be safe on the trail. For her, hiking is a way to stay connected with nature all year round. So it's been really great for my own mental health. Uh, it's something that I do with my dogs. It's something that I do by myself or, you know, with friends or our group to keep me active, to keep me um, socialized, but to also kind of keep me grounded in my own, I guess, love of nature. The guide offers all levels of hikes from beginners to advanced. What a nice way to make the most of the season. Do you hike, Chelsea? Yeah, I do, actually. I went hiking in Lake Placid this summer. I have yet to enjoy the hiking here in Halifax, though. Uh, Hopefully those trails will be getting lots of new visitors this winter. There's a new art show opening this weekend at the Dalhousie Art Gallery. If you go, the first thing you'll see is a concrete fountain filled with sweet and sour sauce. We sent Lucia Halder to check it out as they were getting ready for the opening. My name is Angela Glansman, and I'm one of the curators facilitators for Gut Feeling. I'm Wes Johnston, uh, assistant curator at Dalhousie Art Gallery and co-curator of Gut Feeling. So what is this show? What is Gut Feeling? Gut Feeling is an emerging artist exhibition. I think Angela and I agree, though, that that is a very broad term and could apply to virtually anyone. The show is literally called Gut Feeling because when we were kind of starting this project and being asked questions about it, people were like, whoa, well, what's the curatorial theme? And Wes and I would kind of shrug a little bit and be like, well, we're kind of figuring it out. But um, 
I think the idea of intuition is really important, and as artists, a lot of artists do like a lot of really heavily researched work, but also this idea of intuition is extremely important for a lot of carrying out of the projects or experimenting. So I think that's something that's really important for for artists to have space to do is to like get to make changes or test out things or make new things in a space and I'm hoping that's what we've been able to provide or like help facilitate. And and as both as practicing artists, we've been members of Halifax's artistic community for a number of years and so we've spent a lot of years forming these really wonderful networks and relationships with other artists, other art workers, cultural workers, activists, writers, and I think we have just been really excited lately by what some of our peers have been doing, and that was also a really big catalyst for how this show came about. Can you just describe uh, yeah. like what we're seeing? Yeah, so we're standing in front of a fountain uh, that appears to be made out of concrete um, with three tiers, and it's about as tall as I am, and it uh, has a floral base, and it's dripping with this sticky red fluid, uh, which you might recognize if you go closer and you use a different sense. You start smelling, uh, notice that it actually smells like sweet and sour sauce, um, and that is what exactly what it is. It is a sweet and sour sauce fountain. And uh, it's in progress, so uh, not quite finished yet. Um, the artist Stephanie Yi is uh, in the process of um, mixing up another batch of sweet and sour sauce, which we'll get. Yeah, Stephanie Yi is of Ch Chinese descent, and, and this work is about the experience of Chinese restaurateurs in the um, early 20th century, um, when there was actual policy in place about, about um, uh, decor in Chinese restaurants and, and, and there was um, a mandate to make these places opulent and to emphasize their uh, exoticness or orientalness. Um, and so what Stephanie is interested in is um, investigating this experience through this kind of um, uh, imagined object. Uh, so she's imagining kind of acting out this role of being this person setting out to construct this thing and not really knowing exactly how to go about it but making this as, as kind of big and opulent as possible. Yeah, so this is like literally works in progress while they're being shown here, right? The, the artists that are in this, in this exhibition are really incredible people who've already been doing so much with their practices and have been really um, really making exciting work in and out of the Maritimes. So I, I hope that um, artists just get to have that experience of playing in a space a little bit more and, and having, having an extra set of hands, even physically there to kind of help make the work if necessary. And, and I know as being an artist that's not always the case when you install works in a gallery. So. I think it's, it's really fun as a facilitator to even just get to do that with the artists. I'm Lee Shepard, uh, I'm an artist, etc. <laughs> I am excited to be in this show because I, these are like people that I've 
that my my practice has kind of grow, grown up around or like worked around and developed around. Um, and so it's really nice to be able to come home and see my work in relation to these artists who whose practices I know well and um, and who's and these lovely curators whose practices I know well. So I think that is something really beautiful about this show is that a bunch of us are kind of returning. Are you happy with how it's come out? Oh my god, so exciting. It was just like, I couldn't imagine at some point. And then I got here and everything just started unfolding in this incredible, energetic way. And yeah. it felt so exciting to see people like unfold their unfold their textiles or build their, test out their kinetic sculptures or see the videos that I, you know, just seen on a tiny screen be projected really large. And there's just so much excitement about that. And that really makes it worthwhile. of the Dalhousie Art Gallery's new exhibition, Gut Feeling. It's opening today and will be up until March 15th. There's a lot going on around Halifax this weekend, from concerts to conferences. Our reporter, Dominique Amit, is here to tell us what's up. Hey, so Dominique. Hey, Chelsea. So if you're looking for something to do on campus at King's this weekend, the 8th Annual Conference of the Early Modern is taking place in the KTS Red Room, Friday and Saturday. The keynote event features Dr. Jeanette Vusick. It starts at 7.30 on Friday with the reception to follow. There will also be student panels at 10 a.m. on Saturday. The full schedule is on their Facebook event page. So Dominique, what about families looking for something to do? Well, for family fun on Saturday from 10 to 3, the Canadian Museum of Immigration is ringing in the Year of the Rat with Lunar New Year at the museum. There will be workshops and performances focused on New Year's practices from, very, from a variety of Asian cultures. Or if you want to spend your day outdoors, Hike Nova Scotia is hosting a winter walk at Taylorhead Provincial Park. That's on Saturday from 10 a.m. to 1 as part of their guided hike series, which we heard about earlier in the show. Well, I'm looking for something to do Saturday night. Any suggestions? This Saturday night, Gottagen Street is the place to be. At 7 p.m., start at Alter Ego's Cafe for Tell It Is a Mic, a poetry show. Sign up for the open mic will be at the door. There will also be a slam poetry competition portion of the night. Then, at 9.30, head over to the Bus Stop Theater for something a little different. I spoke to a local burlesque artist about the Roaring Twenties variety show she is producing. I go by Tashina Latush is my burlesque name. Um, I also go by Sunny Day uh, in drag. Uh, I've been doing drag and burlesque for off and on about three years, very amateurish. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> so why are you putting on this variety show? Uh, well, the Roaring Twenties, right? So originally it was going to be a, a vintage-style show, and um, I, I've produced a few different drag and burlesque shows over the last year, and uh, I have a lot of friends and know a lot of people that do a lot of different things, so it's not just drag and not just burlesque, but... Uh, but so much more than that. And so to bring in the new year, the new 2020s, I wanted to showcase all sorts of different talents. So what can people expect at the show on Saturday? At the show on Saturday, we're going to have acts 
from uh, a magician, um, Mr. Amazing, who has been around Halifax for uh, quite some time, but uh, wanting to bring that out. We also have uh, poetry by um, Matteo, and he's a fantastic poet, and I'm very much looking forward to having him on stage, as well as comedy by Milo Mazzari, who actually just recently did, um, he was the Gay Old Christmas at the Seahorse, uh, so they were a, uh, a comedian that, that was performing there, as well as we have a few flow artists, um, burlesque and drag, of course. <laughs> so we have a little bit of everything, really. I am just going to be emceeing the show this time. <laughs> this was a new venture for me, working with the Bus Stop Theatre, so it's been uh, a little bit of a wild ride for me. Um, so I just want to make sure that I'm doing everything that I can for my performers and for the audience um, and not, be, not take away from, from any of them um, because they're all fantastic, and me just saying their names all the time is going to be more than enough for me. <laughs> so is there anything else you want to say about it, about the program? Uh, well, right now it's it's really just a, a general variety show and hoping to get as many people out as possible to um, to see all these fantastic performers and what they have to offer. Um, we also have one of... Well, the second best, uh, according to the Burlesque uh, Association of Canada, uh, best kitten, second best kitten in Canada, uh, who is Miss Shapin, and she's absolutely fantastic. And I just want everybody to see all the different kinds of talent that we have here in Halifax. There's, there's so much to be had, and, and not everybody gets the chance to see that. So I'm really excited to work with the bus stop to have that accessible venue so more people can see those things. Tickets for the variety show are $20 at the door. And what about concerts? Well, there are a lot of musical shows this weekend, but the big ticket show is Jim Cuddy with opening act Old Man Ludica. That's tonight at 8 o'clock at the Cohen. Not many tickets left, though. But you could always catch the Gnarltones. They're at Barely's on Hollis tomorrow night at 10. So in case you're sad about missing Jim Cuddy, I brought you a little taste. Here's Jim Cuddy with While I Was Waiting For You. That's Jim Cuddy from his album Constellation. He's playing tonight in Halifax at the Rebecca Cohen Auditorium. Not too many tickets left for that, I hear. Thanks, Thanks Dominique. Dominique.
That's our show for today. If there's anything you want to hear, again, we'll be posting a link on our social media feeds. Our handle is SignalHFX on Twitter and Instagram. Or use our hashtag, SignalRadio. We'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts on the show. Thanks this week to producer Abigail Trevino, associate producer Lucia Halder, and Dominique Amit was our social media editor, along with Madeline Biso. A shout out to our technician, Mark Pinio, on the control in the control room. Our audio professor is Pauline Dakin. We'll be back next week with more stories. Have a great weekend. Bye.